Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. For those of you who've been listening to the show over the three years we've been doing this, one of the themes that we try to reliably pick up on every couple of episodes is to dive into the world of endurance sports and to try to figure out the lessons, the ideas, the the concepts, the stuff that we can derive from what it takes to be an endurance athlete and connect that to that interface between healthcare and society, to connect it to the work that's done in hospitals, in healthcare, in the office, to see what we can learn as people who are providing care to people who need care, people who may be sick, and see how we can kind of connect this stuff and see how we can put it together because there are real lessons to be learned. And we've been able to do this by talking to people who've run through the desert in the middle of the summer and people who've run the Appalachian Trail from beginning to end and people who've done triathlons and these incredible stories. Today's the day that we get to do that work with someone who is also in healthcare. And this is incredibly exciting for me. So Sarah Sellers is joining me on the show today. And you probably remember that name because a couple of months ago, Sarah ran the Boston Marathon for the first time and she came out of nowhere and she came in second in the Boston Marathon. This was a story that went around the world within a day. It was picked up by every major media outlet and it is one of the coolest sports stories of 2018 without a doubt. And she's here to join us today because while she does this amazing work on the road and in Boston at the marathon, she spends her time in the hospital because she's a certified registered nurse anesthetist, a CRNA. So the bulk of her time is doing healthcare delivery, working with patients in the operating room, part of high functioning healthcare teams. So now we get to fuse this stuff together. And I just could not be more excited to have this conversation. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Shapiro. Really excited. We're going to start from the min specs. As we go forward on this show, you have to call me Mark. You finished second in Boston. Okay, cool. <laughs> you're, you're calling me Mark and, and awesome. just in general, right? If, if Dr. Shapiro is my dad, uh, you get to call okay. me Mark for sure. Um, so let's start from the beginning. And the beginning of this is the, the place that you are in healthcare. Let's start f- to make sure we're on the same field and we all understand what we're talking about. What is the work that you do when you're at work in the hospital? Um, I provide anesthesia for patients going, undergoing surgery. And what sort of cases do you do? Do you do a little of everything? Do you have a niche that you prefer? Are you in the OR every day? Do you, do you have a clinic based setting as well? So I'm usually in the OR. Um, we also go to the GI lab out patients like MRI and, um, kind of some offsite areas, but I kind of just like variety. I don't like being stuck in one area for too long. So that's kind of the nice thing is, you know, I might be doing a liver resection one day and then like carpal tunnels the next day or, you know, so it's, it's good variety. So you get to sample the whole spectrum of acuity and, and complexity. Yeah, exactly. Makes it interesting. Absolutely. So when you're doing that work, how much interaction time do you have with the patients? Because having had surgery myself and having walked a lot of people to the operating room that I'm taking care of in the hospital, that last connection that they're going to make with the person that's going to help them to get sleepy and to help them safely get through the case is a really important piece of connective tissue 
for that journey to go successfully. What is that dynamic like for you when you're meeting the patient, getting ready to help them fall asleep for surgery? What does that kind of dynamic feel like for you? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I, I feel really fortunate to, you know, interact with people during that time because I mean, it's interesting, you know, people will be going, undergoing these really complex procedures and they're not a lot of times worried about the complexity of the procedure and the surgical risks. They're worried about going to sleep and not waking up. So yeah, that connection of being able to establish trust quickly because, you know, hospitals, obviously it's all about efficiency and time management and turnover times in the OR. So really it's trying to establish trust early on and then um, have, have that patient really have a positive experience as they're going back to the operating room because I think that's key for, um, especially when they wake up, if, you know, if they go to sleep um, terrified out of their mind or not trusting you, then they're not going to wake up in a great mindset. And I think, you know, that kind of translates to the whole healing experience. So I think, yeah, that, that initial connection is super important. You, you, I agree with you a hundred percent. And we, we focus a great deal of time and attention to help ensure that patients, especially from the acute care hospital side, as they need to go to the OR, that we can set that mindset correctly. And we're going to, yeah. we're going to be circling back to mindset, I think probably several times as we have this conversation, but I, that's yeah. the, that's the key piece is, is helping lay that infrastructure so that people move into an experience in the right frame of mind so that they know what to expect and they know where they're going to be when it's over and that they're going to be supported on that journey. Yeah, no, exactly. So now let's, let's go through just sort of your normal work day because we have to set the framework of what does the work day look for you in your profession, right? Your day-to-day -day life. So then we can kind of put the puzzle together of you're also training to go run in the Boston Marathon. So what does the work day look like, first of all? Uh, so typically I work four to five days a week, usually four. I get there at about 6.15, 6.30 in the morning and then, you know, just set up my room, look up my patients um, for the day. Um, so typically I'll be assigned like one room for the day and I'll be with you know, however many surgeons are lined up to be in that room. Um, then I just go see my first patient. The first case usually starts at seven 30. So it can vary like some days, you know, you've got a 12 hour case or whatever, and you're going to be in one case all day. And some days you've got a whole bunch of short cases. And, um, so really it's just, yeah, doing whatever cases I'm assigned during the day. And then typically I get off at, um, five or five 30 and, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the work day. So you're maintaining a full-time tempo of what I think everyone can agree is intense work, right? The operating room is a place where everyone is, is pretty focused and dialed in to make sure that everything goes smoothly and safely. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because um, I was a circulating room nurse. Um, so I was a nurse in the operating room right out of nursing school. So before I went to anesthesia school and I remember, and this is totally naive, but when I first you know, kind of interacted with the anesthesia providers in the operating room. I remember thinking like they had it pretty cush and it was like pretty, I don't know, just from the outside. Like I thought it looked like a relatively low stress. Like they kind of just did the same thing in every case. And I was like, maybe do I really want to do this? Uh, but now that it's what I'm doing, like I realize I think it's key to have that outlook of, 
you look like things are calm and um but really yeah there's like there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes for anesthesia there there's no question and as you say and again this is one of those things that i'm so excited to pick up on this idea of maintaining that sense of calm both inwardly and outwardly when you're going through a stressful situation I want to now insert this idea of how someone who is doing that work, right? We also know that when we're doing work in a hospital, just like any other profession, it's tiring. It's physically, mentally, and emotionally draining. I know when I come home after a day seeing patients in the hospital and doing admissions and meeting with families and these sorts of things, oftentimes I am mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausted. You're doing that work. And then now you're folding in this part where you're maintaining a training schedule. What is the training schedule that you're keeping up with on the day-to-day basis? I average about um, 90 miles a week of running and then I lift weights a couple days a week and I run six days a week. Um, I take one day off. So it's kind of just balancing, trying to get my miles in and still sleep and work. So it's, it's definitely, I feel like I'm falling off the balance beam more often than I'm on it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, just, I I usually run before work and again, after work most days. And just, I think that um, component of, especially the emotional and mental fatigue is the, I think the biggest factor that affects like workouts after work, because even if it's been a day where I'm on, you know, if I'm in one case all day, I'm honestly not on my feet very much. Like I'm sitting behind the drapes and you know, it can still be stressful, but I'm not necessarily physically exerting myself. But honestly, I think it's the mental and emotional factor that is um, the most taxing for going and doing a hard workout after that. So that's the key thing, right? You have a profession. You're in the operating room for 10 to 12 hours a day. Your profession is not running as good as you are, right? Your profession is to do that work in the operating room. Do you ever have, is there ever a tension where you say to yourself, I want to go train this morning. I'm going to be in the operating room for 10 hours. I have to be careful how hard I push myself on my runs and, and not overdo it because I actually need to be at my best, not early in the morning while running. I need to be at my best at four o'clock in the afternoon when I'm inducing my fifth patient of the day. Yeah, no, I think that's that's huge. And um, I do try to separate in my mind, like when I'm running, I try to just like I'm running. And that's actually like one of my favorite things about running is that sometimes I'm, my mind gets going and I start stressing about the day or whatever. And I always remind myself like I'm running right now and that's the only thing I'm doing right now. And then the same thing when I'm at work, I, I don't even if I have a hard workout after work, I try to think like, it doesn't matter whatever I'm doing after work right now. I'm taking care of this patient. And like, that's the only thing I'm doing right now. That mental discipline, that sense of, I think the, the term that really people use a lot, that sense of being in the moment, the way you frame yeah. it, I think everyone believes that you're able to do it. I struggle with it. I think a lot of people struggle with being in the moment. What, where did that discipline come from for you? So that when you're training, you're training, when you're in the OR, you're in the OR that you're able to kind of keep those things compartmentalized so that you can be at your best doing two very different and very demanding things. Yeah. I think honestly, it's just practice doing it. And I, I mean, I still struggle doing it, but I think it kind of helps to just um, like pause for a moment and um, really just focus on what you're physically doing at the moment. And 
just try to, and it really is like, it's a constantly cycling back to, you know, reminding yourself like, this is what I'm doing right now. And kind of think of all the details that you're physically doing and not, you know, cause it, it can actually, um, especially if I have a hard workout planned after work, I have to constantly all like during the day, just remind myself, like I'm in the operating room. This is what I'm doing right now. And not stress about the workout after work. Cause that's not what matters right now. So it's the practice of doing that. It's not doing it once and being good or bad at it. It's just doing it over and over and over and over. And it eventually just became, becomes normal for you. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of repeating the process. Which I guess uh, that takes us into running, right? You're just doing the same thing over and over. One of my friends exactly. who's come on the pod. Yeah, my friend Michelle, who's been on the podcast a couple times, she's done the Badwater 135, and she's going to be doing it again. Her her wow. mantra is relentless forward motion. And it's the same thing, right? It's just, this is what I'm doing right now. Let's just keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. With that, like I think I try to both at work and in running, um, especially when you're getting fatigued, like don't start counting down. Don't start thinking, mm. you know, I have eight hours left at work. I have 10 more miles. Like think about like, this is what I'm doing at the moment. It doesn't matter if I have five minutes or five hours left. Like I'm doing it right now. And at some point I'm going to not be doing it, but it doesn't matter how much time is between those. <laughs> it's all I'm doing is this right now. And as you're talking with the patients that you're going to be working with in the operating room, has that ever come up? Has that, what you just said, what you just articulated when they're saying, I'm really scared about what happens tomorrow when I'm recovering or what happens tonight after I wake up. Does that theme of, hey, this is what we're doing right now. We're going to use these medications. We're going to use this sort of mental mantra to get you in the right mindset. Do you use that skill with the patients that you're seeing before they go to the OR? Yeah, I try to. I think it, it translates well because I think whether it's, yeah, being on the patient side of things or, you know, whatever very long, daunting challenge you're faced with, um, when you look at the whole thing, it's completely overwhelming. And it's like, if, you know, if I'm feeling overwhelmed at this moment, how can I endure this, you know, disease process or endure this procedure or whatever it is for an extended period of time? And don't even think about that question. Just think about like, yeah, breaking it down into I can endure it at the moment and doesn't matter how many moments I have to endure it for. I really like that. I can endure this moment. Let's deal with this moment. It doesn't matter how many more moments there are to come. I think that's actually a really powerful thing for anyone to carry forward, whether you're the one having surgery or the one counseling someone before surgery, or the one doing the surgery. This is what we're doing right now. Let's get this done and then we'll move to the next piece. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So now let's move to the next piece, which is what brought you to such a high level of attention, which was the Boston Marathon. Now, obviously, we've we've had the opportunity to read a lot of stories about you, and you, you can't just enter Boston, right? You have to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Yeah, exactly. So I, qual I qualified last fall. I did a marathon. It was actually the last day that you could qualify for Boston. I did the Huntsville, Utah marathon. I hadn't done any marathon specific training before, you know, I had done basically just some distance runs, which are just kind of normal, moderate effort runs, um, no speed workouts, nothing mar marathon specific, but I knew I could hit the Boston qualifying time. So I just signed up for Huntsville last minute and ran that to qualify for Boston. As I was getting ready for this conversation, 
you know, I was thinking to myself because the, right, the story about you is what you were able to accomplish at Boston. And there's this idea of what is the spectrum of somebody coming out of nowhere to finish second at Boston. And the way I was kind of framing this in my mind is, you know, the spectrum of a professional athlete who's running the Boston marathon, who expects to win versus someone who's running their first marathon. But for you, that doesn't really apply because you just downplayed what happened at your first marathon that you didn't do really specific training for. You won your first marathon. Oh, yeah. I mean, granted, it was, you know, kind of a lower key marathon, but yeah. Let, like, let, I, Let's just agree as we go forward. There's no such thing as a low key marathon. I've done one okay. marathon. <laughs> it was extraordinarily difficult. It was not low yeah. key. So <laughs> as a ground well, rule, there's you. no <laughs> low key marathons. Okay. <laughs> thank you for establishing that. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really important, especially if you win said marathon. There's no such thing as okay. a low key marathon. <laughs> But you oh, have a running you. background, right? This you, you ran in college. You, you running's been a part of your life for a long time. But when you ran the Huntsville Marathon and you won it, did you think to yourself, you know, I'm going to go to Boston. This is going to be great. What a fun lifetime achievement! Or hey, I'm going to go to Boston and something special might happen. Where were you as you're kind of getting ready for the race and heading out to Boston and making your trip preparations? Was this wow? I get to run the the, the world famous Boston Marathon, or this is you know, I'm fast and something cool might happen. Yeah. I mean, it was somewhere between those two, I'd say. I mean, I try to be realistic with myself and, um, on the one hand I try to set high goals and, you know, I think it's, it's really necessary. Um, especially, you know, with distance running where you're running 90 to hundred miles a week or whatever, like you have to have goals that you're excited about and you believe in, in order to get out there and do the training. So I was really like, I had some pretty high goals. Um, really my, my big goal was to run a sub two thirty seven because that's the Olympic trials, a standard. And then I also thought like a secondary goal, I wanted to be top 15. Um, and honestly, top 15 was like a major stretch because you look at the women who were entered and it was just an insane field. So those are kind of, both somewhat of a stretch goal, but that's kind of what got me out there in the mornings. And, you know, when I'd be struggling in workouts or whatever, like you just reflect back on your goals and why you're excited to be out there. So having those in place, your, your time goal and, and that stretch goal of wanting to finish top 15, that was in place while you were training for the months leading up to Boston. That wasn't just on that morning. Hey, it would be cool if I, fin-. this was how you built your regimen to get ready. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. How many days off before the race did you have? When was your last day in the OR before you actually had to run? So I actually, um, my husband is a orthopedic surgery resident. So he had, um, you know, he gets one week breaks at a time. So he actually had, I want to say, um, like four or five days off before the marathon. So I took the same block off as he did. So normally I would have, you know, kept working closer to it. But we actually went, we flew out, I think, four days before the marathon. Um, We drove up to Maine and kind of explored Acadia National Park and just took some downtime before the race. Of the elite runners that were there, you said that this was a stocked field. How many of them were were mountain biking in a national park before the Boston Marathon? Well, probably none, but the, um, <laughs> the caveat to that is that I actually, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was actually on an e-bike. I don't know if anyone knows that because, because um, 
yeah, the, the rest of my family, including my brother who also ran Boston, they were all on normal bikes. And this was, I think three days before the race. Um, it was, a, it was on Friday before a Monday race. So I was like, I'm not risking it. So I still was like, I was pedaling, but I was very much like taking it easy. <laughs> I just have a hard time wrapping my mind around you taking it easy, doing much of anything, but we'll, we'll just leave that there. I think that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so the race itself, I think one of the things that people were struck by, I watched a little bit of the race on TV that morning. And actually one of my really good friends who has been a guest on the show recently named Zach Shiner, he ran it, he ran it the same day and he and I connected later that day. It, and, and the first thing I think everyone was struck by it was that the conditions for Boston this year were not normal, that they were, yeah. they were challenging. When you got to the race course that day, what was your sense of the conditions of the race? What struck you in terms of the weather, the environment, and the, the impact that was going to have on the race day? Well, I remember reading the night before I read one of the weather forecasts and it's, um, it said, I think the way they worded it was um, that runners at the Boston Marathon tomorrow are going to experience a car wash effect during the race. Oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, those words came back to me as I was like warming up through the race. I was like, this is, this is the car wash effect they were talking about. <laughs> this is like just rain like coming down. And, you know, there's light rain and then there's like the rain that was at Boston where it was just like coming down from all sides, but mostly from the headwind side. And yeah. yeah, it was, I mean, it was intimidating. And I mean, it was a little disheartening in the sense that my biggest goal, my most concrete goal going into Boston was a time goal. You know, I wanted to right, get sub right. 237. I thought I was in shape to do that. And those conditions, it was like the time goal went out the window. <laughs> so we're talking about a really strong headwind. We're talking about rain that's whipping in from every direction. And this isn't like a, a soothing rain. This is like freezing cold, almost sleet, right? Yeah, exactly. Like as we were um, on the bus driving up to the race, there was snow on the ground. Like it was coming down <laughs> as rain, but there was snow on the ground. So it was, yeah. And what were the runners on the bus that are with you? Like, could you hear the murmuring and the, and the jabbering that this, Oh my God, this is going to be tough. Or was people, were people kind of in their own place? Yeah, it was actually, it was a really cool experience on the bus ride up because so I think there were two buses going up for the elite start. I was on like, they had the fastest women on one bus. And then the, like, I don't know, I wasn't on the fastest bus. I was only the second fastest bus, <laughs> but so we, I was kind of among women who, and men who were, you know, had, were somewhat in a similar time goal range as me. And, you know, having not done a Boston level race before I was picturing it kind of, you know, everyone's like kind of quiet and, in their own head trying to psych themselves up for the race. Um, it was totally the opposite. Like people were just coming out of their shell and, um, connecting with each other. You know, there was a lot of talk of like, this is the pace that I'm going to go out in these conditions. Um, we should form a group and try to stick together and help each other through the conditions. And like, that was mind blowing to me because, you know, everyone's worked really hard to be here. And the downside of, you know, sharing your pace or whatever is it's like you're sharing your strategy with people. But, um, I think the conditions really brought people out of themselves and it became kind of a, a team effort. Like we all want to help each other do well. There's that idea that under times of trial, 
you want to, you'll build, we, 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 as, as humans will build that sense of community to support one another, to help get each other through it. And it sounds like that's what's happening here, that even though you're going to be competing and it's an individual sport where you're going to try to outrace, you know, everyone around you, there's still that sense of, look, let's, let's get shoulder to shoulder to, to get through this first part. When the time comes, we'll put the hammer down and try to beat each other, but we got 26 miles to do this. Let's, let's try to form it so that we can at least get through this together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was that was actually one of the coolest parts of the day was that bus ride up. Did that help change your attitude around this? Because you, you're going to the start line. You're amongst people who are, I mean, fiercely competitive, right? They know each other. They've raced each other before. They want to kick each other's butt. And yet they're saying, look, let's, let's, let's lean on each other a little bit, at least for some part of this. Did that change your mindset as this is going to not just be cutthroat and brutal, but it's also going to be freezing cold to now, hey, look, it's going to be freezing cold, but we're in it together. Yeah, no, you said it perfectly because it, it really was a drastic shift. You know, be- the night before I was um, kind of wigging out, worried about the conditions and the race. But, you know, the last 10 minutes before the race started, I remember feeling just more calm than I'd felt for any race before. And I think it was just that camaraderie of everyone coming together that brought that. It's, I- I'm amazed that you use that sense of that word calm around this because after the race was over, the article started to come out. ESPN, New York Times, CNN, The Guardian. Basically, everyone wanted to hear from you. Everybody wanted to talk to you. This was, this was momentous. This was big stuff. And one of the yeah. most striking things that I took away from it, there were two. But the one that was the most striking for me is not the, the articles that were written. It was the picture that everybody used. There's a picture of you at mile 24. And there's two other women in the picture. One of them is the woman who ended up winning the race. And you guys are basically like stride for stride with each other. The look on your face Uh when I saw this picture, everyone in the background, ponchos and blankets, and the ground is wet, and it looks like there's hail on the ground. And the everyone around you is grimacing and looks miserable. I swear to God, the first time I saw that picture, I thought you were smiling. It looked like you were smiling. You looked so relaxed and focused did you carry that sense of calm the whole race am i misreading that picture because this is the picture this is the stock image from getty images that's like gone all around the world everyone's using this picture i swear you're smiling in this picture yeah no i probably was because i mean as much as i was like hurting in the conditions and just from like the marathon pain itself this is going to sound really corny but i actually Dana Herrick um, is a she's a elite runner who ran the Boston Marathon last year. Um, she wrote a blog about her boss. She ended up fifteenth last year, so um, she wrote a blog about her race at Boston last year. And in her blog, she kind of and it was a great. Last year the weather was beautiful. Apparently, um, I didn't run it, so I wouldn't know. But um, she in this blog post talks about. Um, you know, passing groups of kids and like um, hitting their hands as she goes by and just like fist pumping and just like this super positive experience with the crowds and with the people lining the course. And I read her blog post probably like five or 10 times before the marathon, because I think it helped me just visualize some of the positivity that I was planning on being on the course. So then, you know, fast forward to race day when it was like the conditions were totally opposite. There were still an incredible amount of people on the course. And even though it was, you know, 
like pouring rain and crazy headwind, I think that like positive imagery that I'd had in my head before the race, like I just kept that with me throughout the race. And so I was like out there fist bumping and like giving people a thumbs up and like, and even when I was hurting, like it, it actually helped me a lot to just kind of carry that positivity and pretend that there were rows of kids lined up and cheering. And I don't know that, that positive imagery really pushed me through those last few miles. So you pulled on a couple of things then you pulled on what we talked about earlier, that idea of just staying in the moment, right? Mile 15, freezing cold, you know, nutrition, not going great wind everywhere, runners dropping out left and right. Stay focused right now. I'm just running. But also the external, yeah. right? What people around you are doing to bolster you, the fist bumps, the thumbs up. Everybody, and I'll, from when I got to crew at the Badwater, that's what every Badwater runner talks about, that everyone that's driving by is clapping it up and cheering. And it's a suffer fest like no other, except probably Boston 2018, where <laughs> they draw from that, where they get like actual energy and sustenance from people clapping and thumbs up and high fives. That dynamic is happening for you throughout the race, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And um, one of my favorite quotes is um, success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> and like I, I think of that quote on like a small scale and on a large scale, you know, whether it's like overcoming a bad race or, you know, during a marathon um, during Boston, there were plenty of times when if I had let myself dwell on those thoughts, I would think that I'm failing, you know, like my pace was especially the first half of the race, I wasn't even, um, on pace to run a 2:45, And I thought in the months leading up to the race, I thought I could run a 2:45 in my sleep. So it was, um, you know, there were a lot of reasons to get down on myself and to think I was failing. Um, but I just kept trying to tell myself, like, I'm going to keep the, this positivity and this enthusiasm. And no matter what the outcome is, like, I'm just going to keep pushing forward. So the race finishes. When did it dawn on you what what had just happened? Did someone come up to you and say, "Hey, FYI, you just finished second? Did you look at the scoreboard? How, how did it how did it register that you just came in second at Boston?" Yeah. So uh, coming down the home stretch, um, you know, I had in the few miles before that, I had passed some of the big names in the race, so I kind of had an idea that I was doing a lot better than I expected. Okay. So but you also, knew some of the people as you passed them, you knew who you were passing. You saw them and said, uh, that's, oh that's, yeah, sure. that's famous <laughs> woman runner X. And I just passed her. Exactly. So uh, I, I had an idea, but I also thought I had no idea how many were still up there. Cause I started towards the back of the elite pack. Um, so, you know, I, I knew I was, I was let myself think I was probably in the top 10, but I really had no idea. So when I crossed the finish line, you know, there's some officials and volunteers lining the finish shoot. And I immediately turned to them and I was like, what place am I? What place am I? And I remember like a few of them kind of stepped back and they looked like surprised that I'm talking to them. And like, why is, why is she talking to us? And, <laughs> uh, there was one official that pulled me aside and she's like, you're second, you're second. And she had to keep repeating it. Cause I was like, that no i was like second in what i wasn't second what place <laughs> right. was i second in what i love yeah. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i don't think it sunk in for probably i think it sunk in partway a week later 
Wow, and then that long. I don't think it's ever. I don't think it's ever gonna fully because yeah. it'll still on runs. Sometimes it'll like hit me again. Like I was second, and it just, <laughs> yeah, it'll never. It'll never fully sink in. I don't think. I hope it doesn't. In a lot of ways, I hope it stays. It's just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I just did. Yeah, no, it's, it was crazy. <laughs> so then, how much time after the race? The there's obviously the media rush. All these things happened. When did you go back to work? How long was the gap before you were in that same place of now I'm in the operating room and what I'm doing right now is helping a patient get ready to go to sleep? Yeah. So I was supposed to, that was a Monday race, um, planned on flying back Tuesday night and getting there in the middle of the night, Wednesday morning. And I was supposed to work on Wednesday and Tuesday was nuts. Like just nuts. Mm. I was on like the phone Literally, as soon as I would hang up with someone on the phone, it would ring again. And it was like that. Like, we had planned on just exploring Boston on Tuesday. No, we literally sat in the hotel and just, like, <laughs> fielded phone calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, we, I got back on Wednesday. I got back at, to the house at, like, 2.30 in the morning. And luckily, um, my hospital was very generous, and they told me I could take Wednesday off. <laughs> so I came back on Thursday. So you're back in the OR on Thursday. Was, was it, did it feel like, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm in my, I'm, I've got my sense of place. I've got my sense of the moment and now I'm back to work. Or was it hard to, to kind of get focused and get ready Were people tapping you on the shoulder? Hey, I want to give you a fist bump. That's crazy. What was that dynamic like of trying to settle back into that routine? Yeah, it was a little crazy because, yeah, like I said, I've always, I try to be like present in the moment of what I'm doing. Um, and my coworkers, I mean, were amazing. And like I showed up on Thursday and they had chocolate cake at 630 in the morning. Oh, and that's it was, so cool. It was yeah. great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but it, it was a little tricky to, you know, the, my first patient, like as soon as I walk in, he was all excited and wanted to take a selfie with me. Oh, and, like, so your patients knew who you were. <laughs> yeah, a lot of oh, them did. Oh, so um, great. I love it. Even like a few days later, um, I had a patient that didn't say anything in pre-op, didn't say anything as we went back to the room. And it wasn't until like he was literally about to go to sleep. Like we had, we were pushing the um, induction meds. He hadn't, hadn't quite hit him yet, but he moves the oxygen mask off for a second. He's like, oh, by the way, congrats on Boston. Oh my gosh, like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> It like totally took me back because I, again, I'm like trying to be like, this is, I'm of not course. a runner right now. Yeah, I'm a, a, a anesthetist. Right. Yeah, you're back to work. <laughs> yeah, and that, it took me a little by surprise. Oh my, he had totally been holding his fire. He had that all planned out, I bet. Exactly, he totally did. <laughs> oh, that is the coolest. He must have given you such a rush. He did, yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, that is fabulous. So as you've gone through this journey now, it's been a couple of months the things that you do to maintain that level of focus, both when you're running and at work so that you can do your work properly, has any of it changed or is it, are you still doing the same thing, the same rhythms, the same focus, the same mental messaging around being in the moment, being present? Is any of it different? Has Boston changed any of that or are you as dialed in as you were beforehand? Um, I, I feel like, yeah, it's um, definitely changed. Um, I feel like that's, you know, key to, progressing in sports or anything is um, being able to adapt to change. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the big challenges after Boston is, you know, there, I was second, but there's also, you know, a lot of doubts of like, well, it's only, I was only second because half the elite fields like literally died, <laughs> like 
or, you know, what a, it's, it's hard to not have a lot of self doubt that, um, you know, can I ever, um, compete at a really high level on a good day and when people are having a good day. And I think I've had to, again, try to the same thing I try to do with my patients where I compartmentalize and just like take it one workout at a time. Like I don't have to suddenly be, you know, running these insane times. Hopefully someday I will, um, who knows what's in the cards, but really it's about, you know, today I'm going to accomplish these things. I'm going to push through my workout, even if it's, even if I don't feel great and just take it one day at a time. Cause it's a little, it's overwhelming. Um, and especially now with the attention, you know, hoping I don't let people down, hoping I don't let myself down. Um, but really just compartmentalize to try to succeeding each day. So when you write your book and your editor says, <laughs> I want, <laughs> it's not if it's when, right. When yeah. you're edit, but when your editor says to you, we need a chapter that pulls these lessons across the, the interface where healthcare and society connect, right? What are the part, what, what, what are the themes that you're going to include in that chapter? What are you going to say? This is what I was doing before the marathon. This is what helped me do something that will be remembered. And this is the part of it that helps patients, that helps docs, that helps teams, that helps nurse anesthetists, that helps everyone that's doing this work get to the highest level, get the outcome that they want, get to a place where they can function at, at the peak of, of their powers mentally, physically, and emotionally? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a great question. I think there's another, and I'm hoping I'll butcher it, but another quote that I really like, um, it's uh, from Mahatma Gandhi. He said something like satisfaction lies in the effort, not the attainment. Full effort is full victory. And I think being able to, you know, especially with endurance sports, when you are giving your best effort and then, you know, in the middle of the race, like when you're really pushing yourself and you're hurting and you look at your watch and you're not hitting your pace, like you have a choice right then. Either you can let that negative feedback from your watch totally, you know, bring your spirits down and um, make you feel like you're failing or you can um, try to respond to that in a positive way and not slacken your efforts, not let your enthusiasm drop. And I think that carries across very well to medicine, both on the caregiver and the patient side, um, just being able to try to respond to any circumstance with the most positive reaction you can. And sometimes, honestly, the positive reaction part of that positive reaction is coming to grips with what's actually happening and letting yourself be in the moment and be disappointed by that but still not let your efforts slacken so i don't know it's probably a very rambling response hopefully it'll come out better if i ever do <laughs> i don't know right it'll hopefully come out better but i think like another thought that comes to mind is my favorite book that's um I, I should read again and try to apply it again is um Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oh yes. Um and like one of my favorite things from that book is um just the concept that there are principles that are universally applicable. And I think, you know, in any arena of life, like 
finding those principles that lead to success. There are no secrets. Everyone has access to those same principles. And even though you, you know, you're not going to experience success every time you're going to have failures. When you find those principles and apply them, you will, that's a recipe for success. You're going to have success eventually. I think all of us that are listening to the show and myself in particular, getting to talk with you about this, we are getting to do that work with you, right? You just said this work is all widely available. You're part of that. Now you're now making it widely available so we can learn from the, the journey that you've been on and the work that you do. And I think that that's also really important that you recognize that, right? That there's an opportunity there, but there's also kind of almost a responsibility that it's important that you convey this. It's important that you share that in the moment at the bedside with your patient, coming on a podcast, writing a book, People want to know that from someone who's doing this work at the front line. And the way you articulated it, when you need the transcript of this conversation to write your book, what you just described, I think you've got the intro to your chapter right there. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So before we wrap up, I have one more question that's really important. Is there any role while you're training for a race at the highest level, where does hospital food fit into a nutrition plan? If you're in the hospital oh for 12 hours a day, right? Uh, we all know we, we just eat when we can and we eat what we can. <laughs> How do we integrate hospital food into a nutrition plan for a marathon? Um, well, I guess speaking <laughs> from personal experience, um, especially so before, before Boston, I was doing a pretty good job, like bringing my own lunches and things. Yeah, yeah. Um, after Boston, my routine, I don't know. I need to like somehow find the little pieces of my previous routine and string it back <laughs> together. Um, but I, I think, I mean, at least at my hospital, there's actually a lot of salads and hard boiled eggs and like things that are boring, but they're like healthy staples. And I think as far as um, marathon training nutrition, um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty I'm pretty opinionated on the matter because I think during college running, like I was very restrictive, and you know I had I had weight goals. I had like I don't know. I I ended up with three stress fractures, and I'm literally osteopenic right now because I. Um, didn't get the nutrition I needed when I was training a lot of miles in college. So now my focus has shifted from, you know, be as small and as fast as I can to be as healthy and as fast as I can. And, um, I guess the, in response to your question, there's a lot of times at the hospital where, um, I'm hungry and I haven't planned ahead and there's not necessarily you know, they're out of hard boiled eggs. They're out of whatever healthy thing I was going to eat. And so I eat the bagel or I eat whatever it is yeah. that's going to keep me from being like really hungry and, you know, going into like a catabolic state yeah. and hospital food is great for that. There's always something, <laughs> There's always even a, if it's not great. Yeah. There's always a grilled cheese available if you need it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, but that, that's interesting. And, and I think probably part of the journey that you go on as you continue your running career, which I cannot imagine the different directions that this may go for you. And we could probably do a whole other episode around what's next. You got to take care of yourself too, right? I mean, the first lesson I learned as a medical student, you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. They need you dialed yeah, in in every respect. They need you fit mentally, physically. They need you with proper nutrition so you can focus. And that's part of the, the journey that you're going to be on as you do that. Yeah, no, exactly. This has been amazing. This has just been an extraordinary opportunity to talk with you and I'm, I'm really excited for what the future holds for you. I can't wait to read the book. 
Uh, (laughs) it's going to be amazing when it comes out. And well, thank you. I I think that the stuff that's come out of this is this, I just could not be more excited about getting to talk about this sort of thing and couldn't be more excited that you just did what you did last April. Uh, it's amazing. And I think that it's going to resonate for a long time. So thank you so much for coming to join us on the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, um, real quick, I want to thank you also for letting me at least say what a nurse anesthetist is because one of the most interesting things that's come from like the outpour support from like the media and everyone is that even people in healthcare and no fault of their own it's um but literally nobody knows what it is <laughs> so thank you it's it's good to be able to i've had actually a couple of interviews where when i they asked what what it is that i do and when i said that they one in particular was a radio interview and the girl that was interviewing me said she she talked to her producer and she's like um our producer says we don't know what that is and we don't think anyone else knows what that is so we're oh gonna my. say you're a nurse is oh. that so oh no which i'm i'm also a nurse and i'm very proud to be a nurse of course. but it's cool that yeah that thank you that that's I want more people to know what that is. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And it's important that we understand because then when we have that conversation of what interactions are you having at the bedside, we have to have the right context around your training and your perspective and the context in which you're meeting patients. So no, I'm I'm delighted that this was a place where we could put that really, really forward facing because you're part of the team, just like the doc, just like the bedside nurse, just like the anesthesiologist with the MD next to their name. It doesn't matter when you're taking care of patients. We're all in the same boat. So I'm delighted that we have a format where we can put that forward. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, thanks again for joining us. This has just been tremendous. Yeah. Thanks so much. And thanks to you all for listening. This has just been an amazing episode. Please share it with your friends. Please share it with anyone that's interested in the world of of endurance running, medicine, whatever, all of the work that we're doing on Explore the Space. This is the sort of stuff that that we're just so excited about and so proud of. If you have the chance to go and and leave a, a rating and a review, that's great. If you have any questions, you can definitely email me. This has just been a total blast. Thanks so much, and we'll be back soon. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com, and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.